You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. I was blinded by the devil, born and already ruined. Stone cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. By his grace I have been touched, by his word I have been healed. By his hand I've been delivered, by his spirit I've been sealed, I've been saved. Good Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. We are kicking it off with Bob Dylan. I love Bob Dylan. I'm going to be real honest. I don't understand half of what he says. And by that, I don't mean just the the lyrics. I don't understand what he means. I don't literally understand what he says. Like his diction is so unusual that I don't get it. But still a big fan. Still a big fan. Lyndall Cooley at the Brownsville Revival back in the late 90s, early 2000s, used to lead that song with like 3,000 people. The place would just come unglued when he would do Bob Dylan's Saved. And then he would turn around and go directly into a large choir version of How Great Thou Art. And it would work way better than you would think it would. I mean, you wouldn't think it would work at all, but he could pull it off. It was phenomenal. It is a banner week in the Bullender house, and I will tell you why. Two things. Uh, One, it is my... Oldest son Jackson's birthday this week. He turns 27. How did I get to have 27-year-old children? I don't understand. No, the better question is how do I get to have five-year-old children? Uh, it, that's the spread is 27 to five. Uh, and it's, it's quite a gap. Uh, but he turns 27, so that's exciting. Another thing that's exciting is our puppy, Paisley, sleeping all night. Yes, and that is a game changer. First couple of days were really rough. And she has finally decided she can sleep all night. The first night she did it, I woke up in a panic, wondering what had happened to her. Laid there in bed trying to figure out how am I going to explain to the children something terrible has happened to the dog. Because I couldn't possibly fathom that she actually had slept all night. But she she is. She's sleeping. And we're grateful for that. Now, before I dive into the scripture, I have a, a bone of uh, contention to pick with retired Army Major William Osten who is the director of the Ark of Justice, a nonprofit that we love that supports veterans and all of their needs uh, post-service. And so we love the Ark of Justice. However, I do have a concern with retired Army Major William Oston, member of the Judge Advocate General Corps. Uh, this is a legitimate guy. He is a legitimate soldier. He's a man's man. But for whatever reason, he has taken to publicly mocking on the internet, my favorite coffee cup. I don't understand. I do not understand why the retired Army, Army Major William Oston has a problem with my coffee cup. He claims it's too small. Um, I think secretly he, he mocks it for its, its floral design or perhaps what he thinks are girlish colors. I'm not sure. He, he's kind of a he-man. Whatever the case, I'm calling you out. William Oston, Billy, if you have a better mug, a mug more suited to the podcast, then I say send it, and I will give it a try. I'll drink from it. But until then, I think you keep your uh, your little mealy mouth comments about my mug to yourself. I just don't think it's fair to attack a man's coffee mug. Is nothing sacred other than a man's coffee mug? I think not. I'm a little slap happy this morning. You'll have to forgive me. I was up early, went out to Blue Valley Southwest, 
which is a high school in our area, to speak to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which was so much fun. Great group of kids that meets there once a week, 30 minutes to talk about the scripture and talk about their faith. So it was good to go out and speak to them. Uh, all these student athletes, I had to admit I was not a good student, nor was I a good athlete. I was neither of those things. And so it is the divine comedy of God that I got to go speak to them, and it was fun. We are getting ready to enter into a season of fasting on the first of the month. We're going to do a 40-day fast. will be talking about that more on the podcast even later uh, today, but in coming weeks. And we want to do this with you. If you're in Kansas City and you're going to be fasting, shoot me an email or a text my email is uh, the initial R and then Bolender, B-O-H-L-E-N-D-E-R at gmail.com. Just my first initial and my name at Gmail. We would love to do this with you and encourage one another. We'll be talking about it more and more as we go on the podcast. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians. We are returning to it, although we'll continue to talk about fasting a little bit. But we want to close up this first chapter of Colossians and, and make our way through it. As we start with verse 24, again, Paul writing to the church in Colossae that he had never been to, but he had some authority over it as an apostle, and he had sent the planter that had gone on to plant this church. And he writes to them now, starting in verse 24 of the first chapter, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, at first glance, you might think that Paul thinks he's making up for the shortcomings of Christ. He says, I, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. But that's not accurate. He is not talking about redemption there. He's established his Christology. He has a high view of Jesus. He understands that Jesus did everything on the cross. There's nothing that we can do to add to that. The word affliction in this passage isn't associated at all with redemption. It's associated with the ongoing pressures against the gospel around the world. Many places where the gospel is preached, there is resistance. Now, some of that resistance is active in the way of persecution. We think of China, we think of the Middle East, we think of other places around the world where there is actual persecution against the preaching of the gospel. And you're not able to preach the gospel without suffering, perhaps even physically for it. But some of the oppression against the gospel is actually passive. It's not, not actual persecution per se. It is something that is in the hearts of the culture, and it is actual boredom towards the gospel. I would say that's what we face in our own country. We don't face persecution. We don't face political pressure. Some would say we do, but those people have not traveled. We don't face oppression for preaching the gospel. We face bored, apathetic hearts. Sometimes it's even our own. And Paul is saying that he feels some of the discomfort that is pointed towards the very story of Jesus. And yet, even though he faces some of that affliction, he does it willingly because the gospel is worth it. Something happens very unique in the life of a man or a woman who embraces hardship or affliction for the sake of the gospel because Jesus is worth it. And what happens in their lives is they move beyond just being a believer and they become a follower. You may be thinking, well, Randy, it's just semantics, isn't it? Isn't a believer or a follower? 
I have met a lot of people who profess to be believers, but if you looked at their life, there was no idea that they were following Jesus. They weren't making any of the adjustments in their life. That actually takes on some pressure, whether it is persecution or whether it is boredom and apathy. The presence of the gospel faces pushback. And Paul says, you know what? I'm pushing back against that. I recognize it and I share with it. People are actually pressing back against the preaching, but I'm going to press into that. He goes on in verse 25, says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, Paul speaks here about the saints down through the ages, which at this point had not been that long. It's only about 30 years uh, post-ascension or after Jesus had gone to be with God the Father. But certainly some believers had passed, and there were others that were alive, and they all made up this collective group called the saints. Now, 2,000 years later, with more people on the face of the earth than any other time before, that group of saints is much, much larger. And this is a group of people that have entered into this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is mysterious. To think that he would be within us and dwell within us. Paul goes on to write, In him we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. You ever think about what it means to be mature in Christ? What is that talking about? Well, how, why would you say this person is mature or that person is not? You could maybe come up with a lot of different criteria. Some of us think that to be mature in Christ means that there is the presence of spiritual gifts. But that's not actually accurate. In fact, in the book of Acts, there are a number of people who encounter spiritual gifts, and there's no indication that they're mature. In fact, in some cases, they're immature. They would have to be because they've literally just come to Christ. So spiritual gifts are not the measure of maturity. Well, could it be faith? Now, that's not either. Because faith as a mustard seed can do great things, but that doesn't mean the faith is mature. It means that God is working through people. When I think of becoming mature in Christ, to me, it talks about understanding your position as a child of God, growing into how God sees you and how Jesus relates to you, so that as Paul says, you can toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in you. I think few people really reach that level of maturity where they act completely out of their identity of having Christ within them and them being a child, a son, or a daughter of God. This morning when I was at the high school, I talked about self-awareness, how we accurately or inaccurately view ourselves. And I made the comment that if I asked them who they were, some of them might have given me a name. Some might have given me their destiny, what they want to be someday. A few very spiritual ones might have said, I'm a Christian. But who do they really think they are? If you're a Christian, you are following the most self-aware 
person who ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus knew who he was at a level that we can only hope to approach as we grow in maturity to him. Last week, I referenced Matthew 3, 17, where Jesus is baptized. And of course, John puts up a protest. He says, I, I'm not the one to baptize you. I, I'm just, you know, I'm less than you. I should be tying your shoes. And Jesus tells him, no, 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 John, we need to do this to fulfill that which was spoken. He said, let's do this. And so they baptize him. And as he comes up out of the water in 317, I read it last week, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now here Jesus, who has labored in relative obscurity up until this point, standing before a crowd, gets the blessing of his father audibly. A voice from heaven rings out. If he ever had the opportunity to capitalize on his charisma or who he was naturally, this is the opportunity. If a voice comes from heaven and announces you to be the son of God, What do you do? Like, does he go on tour at this point? Does he minister out of his charisma? The Bible says he does an interesting thing. In Matthew 4, it starts out by saying, He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Who in their right mind, on the day of being highlighted by the voice of God, goes out into the wilderness to fast? Not expressing his own power, but instead choosing to repeat the words of God. It's because Jesus was not as interested in being a public figure as he was being a son of the Father. That's what he was mostly concerned about. He could have ministered out of momentum at that point. He had the audible authentication that he was the Son of God. He could have operated off charisma or even talent. And some of you, can live that way. You can operate out of charisma or talent. But Jesus chose to make himself weak so that the words of his father spoken in the Old Testament would demonstrate power. Chapter 4 goes on to say that the tempter or the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God. Now, wasn't this just established? Like the voice just literally came from heaven saying, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus could have relied on his own power at this point, but he wanted to emphasize he was a son, not just somebody with a following. He wasn't just a charismatic leader. He was a son of God. So he said, you know what? I'm just going to say what God said, and I'm going to let my father's words stand for me. So my question for you is how do you fit into God's plan? Chances are you never heard the voice of God crack open heaven and say, this is my son or this is my daughter. You've never had that experience but yet you've trusted Christ and you're trying to follow him. So what does that make you? The Apostle Paul had a deep understanding of what happens in the heart of a man or a woman who surrenders their life to Christ and begins to follow. Romans 8, I read this regularly because this has been one of the most impactful verses in our lives. Verses 14 to 16, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, 
to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are adopted sons and daughters of the living God. So how do we act once we know that? I don't think we fully understand that we're actually a son or a daughter. I don't think we believe it, and I don't think we understand why. Let me tell you a quick story. And I almost didn't tell this because I feel like I tell it a lot. Some of you have heard it before. Bear with me. If you haven't heard it, you'll understand why I tell it. But when we had adopted Zoe and then Anna and Mercy and then had Piper, we'd very quickly become a family of seven. Went from three boys to three boys and four girls in um, about seven years. Happened very, very quick. Quicker than that. So here we are with three boys and four girls, and I get a phone call that Anna and Mercy, my older twins, their birth mother is expecting twins again. And I always tell people my response immediately was, surely not. I just couldn't fathom that she was expecting twins again. But I went from surely not to let's adopt them in about 30 seconds. I mean, it was fast. In fact, I even reached out and talked to the family about adopting them before I told Kelsey that this was going to happen. Then I had to go to Kelsey and explain, oh, by the way, we might be having twins. You know, usually it's the wife explaining to the husband. In this case, it was me explaining to her. How did I go from surely not to I want them? I want them in my family. This is how it happened. In my mind, I saw Anna and Mercy And at the time, they were only three. They were the cutest little things. But in my mind, I saw them at 15 or 16. They had long hair. They were beautiful young women. And they looked at me, and it was almost as if in my mind they were discovering that they had twin siblings that they had not known about. And I, in this, call it a vision, impression, call it whatever you feel comfortable with. In this experience, I heard one of them say, There were more like us, and you didn't want them? And I couldn't fathom that being their reality. And so for the sake of my older twins, I said yes to the younger twins. Now, of course, I love the younger twins, and I've come to know them and and embrace them in the exact same way. But initially, I said yes to the younger ones because of the daughters that I loved. There's this passage in Psalm 2 where the voice of God is speaking to Jesus. And he turns to Jesus in verse 8 and he says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. God promises Jesus that he's going to give him the people of the nations of the earth. And right now, God looks at heaven, in heaven looks at Jesus and he says, For the sake of my son, I want the others. Just like I looked at Anna and Mercy and said, for the sake of them, I want these twins. God looks at Jesus and said, because I love Jesus, I want them as my son and my daughter. Because you exist and because Jesus wants you, God loves you. To be self-aware is to live your life like that. You will never suffer from a lack of confidence and you'll be willing to live out Colossians 1.24. You will be willing to live out Colossians 124 fully. 
saying that I will bear the afflictions right alongside everyone else. He wants you to be a son or a daughter. That's what he wants you to live out of. We are going to be fasting, and we're going to fast as sons or daughters, just like Jesus did, responding to the enemy out of the word rather than out of our own charisma or out of our own gifting, because in that, there is strength as a son or a daughter. I asked some people why they were fasting on Instagram. They told me things like family, their friends, they want vision or direction. All of these things are available to sons or daughters who want it. Ask along with us, but don't ask as a beggar. Ask as someone who really knows who they are in Christ. Have a great week. I will talk to you next week on the third cup of coffee.